Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message in our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible to 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 22. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. We return to surveying the life of Samuel, and it's called Belonging to God. We see that the life of Samuel belonged to God. He was given over very young, but have we given our lives to God? Do we belong to Him? That's a strong statement, isn't it? It's a controlling understanding. It's a defining identification that I belong to God. Today's message is entitled, Different. That's a little different, isn't it? We know that the Lord spoke instructions through Moses to give to the people of Israel. And it included this statement. If you take out your, out of your message guide. I have two opening verses today. You must be holy Because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all the other people to be my very own. Some other verses say, my treasured possession. Hebrews, segula. Now, when we conceive of the word holy, initially we think of what? Say it louder. Well, God's holy. It's early. Yes, perfect. There you go. Now y'all are tracking with me. See, y'all knew I was coming out. You got to, we need to have a time to shake yourself up. Get your blood pumping a little bit because I'm coming for you. And we usually think of holy as referring to perfection, moral perfection, and it does include that connotation. But, but that's not the primary meaning of holy. The primary Hebrew meaning of holy, kadash, is actually closer to distinct, separate, different. See, God was so different They ascribe the word holy to him rather than using English descriptions. You can almost summarize it by saying God is other than us in every way. You said, but we have his image. That's right. And that's how we're being conformed to him so that that image shows more and our flesh shows less. But God is different because he is by nature unique. Another word is sacred. And we think of sacred as holy, don't we? Religious. But it's better understood as not common, not profane, not worldly. 
Now, by faith, we become his people. And by becoming his people relationally, we are declared holy. And we're directed to become holy. Does that make sense? John, are you perfect? Yes, you are. You've been declared perfect. And we hope you're becoming more perfect. She does. But I do too. But that's what it means. We're we're declared wholly perfect by God. And we're putting on what we've already been identified as. Does that make sense? If you're a Christian... You are a person in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, you are expected. Faith, you're expected to be distinct, separate, different from this world. You've been set apart by God for personal relationship with him and service to him. You say, well, that sounds lonely. If I'm set apart from this world, if I'm distinct, if I'm to be, yes, exactly. But our loneliness is dealt with in relationship with God. And with others of God's people. You see? So here's when we start. Are you different? Or do you fit in? Now I'm not talking about because you're obstinate or difficult to, be, to get along with. Are you distinctively different? Or do you fit in perhaps too well? Do you fit in just too well. If people aren't sure whether to invite you to the party, that may not be a bad sign. You hear what I'm saying? But we have to get comfortable with that. It's who you are. It's how God sees you. But do you see yourself that way? Theme verse. Don't you realize... That friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Have y'all noticed when we really spend the time in the word, beginning with the gospels, there's some very strong language. Isn't there? What happened to the God that's just blowing kisses and hoping you'll give him a break? I don't know that God. He's not known in the Bible, is he? He's not insecure with you. Now, this part of Samuel's life shows a transition of Israel from judgeship to kingship, monarchy. Now, there are 15 judges identified in the Scripture, 13 of them in the book of Judges. Fascinating book, one of the most interesting books, most colorful books, in my opinion, in the Scripture. There are two identified in 1 Samuel. Who are they? Eli and Samuel. 
So 15 in total. Now the judges ruled for 325 to 350 years, roughly. And they were, at least in judges, you see them primarily raised up to lead Israel in battle. You see that in Judges 2.18 as well, stated. But they also applied the law in deciding cases. We see more of Eli's life. We see more of Samuel's life, of course. But the judges in the book of Judges are primarily, at least what's, what's mentioned, is primarily their leading in battle. Now, the judges were chosen in localities. The only, there's only one identified as being a judge over the whole nation. And that was Samuel. Because Scripture said, remember, he was from Dan to Bathsheba. He went north and south. And the others functioned in locality. Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. So now we turn to our passage for today. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're on page 229 in this Bible that we sell. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. The law didn't provide for that to happen, by the way. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, 50 miles away from where Samuel was living in Ramah. When kids want to get away from their parents, it's not always a good thing. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Now, the Israelites had depended on God to raise up judges to lead them as they needed. But they lost confidence in the judgeship as a form of leadership, especially when they saw Samuel's sons become corrupt. So finally, in verse 4, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, they should have come and complained about the sons. And they should have asked that they be removed and someone else be chosen in their place. But someone that God would point out. But instead, they asked for a king. Now, perhaps they were feeling threatened because the, the Philistines and the Ammonites, the Philistines from, from outside. Remember I told you where the Philistines were from. Y'all remember? Greece. Surprisingly, isn't it? And the Philistines were the precursors of what we call Palestinians today. The only originals of citizens, if you want to say, of the promised land were not Philistines or Palestinians. They were what? They were Canaanites who became Ammonites. You don't, I know some of you, this is for the bookworms. I run into the bookworms in Bilo and they say, I like all that information. So that's for you. Those of you, the rest of you don't go to sleep. But rather than following God's plan for them, 
they looked around and saw what everyone else was doing. And they followed, bless you, the ways of the world around them. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Now, was asking for a king wrong? Pretty good, Jevieland. You get a gold star, maybe a cookie when you leave. Asking for a king was not wrong. Even though the way I asked it, I implied it was, didn't I? God had given them permission to ask for a king, but a certain kind of king. Look on the screen, Deuteronomy 17. You are about to enter the land your God is giving you. And when you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. You say, well, that's what they said. Yes, but look at this. If this happens, be sure to select as king the man the Lord your God chooses. And you must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. So he's a people that understood not only the faith, but also the history and the heritage of Israel. So the request for a king was not wrong. But the reason for it was the motivation made it wrong. Instead of seeking God for deliverance, they sought a human leader to protect and rule over them. You see, it's a little subtle, isn't it? So they, they sought help, not from God, but from a different form of government. Like all the other nations. But Israel was supposed to be different from all the other nations. Deuteronomy 14, 2 says that they were set apart. They were chosen. They were his treasured possession. They weren't like any of the other nations. And if you belong to him, you're not like anybody else in town. Having a king wasn't wrong. Trusting in a king was instead of trusting God. Sort of subtle, isn't it, though? Where do you turn for help? Do you start with God and stay with God and persist with God? Or do you scurry around seeking out every possible resource this world has to offer until you've tried and failed every one of them? But we know this passage, Romans 12, 2, says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. We must be different. Psalm 46 on the screen clearly tells us, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Anybody have any problems today? Where are you looking for help? Looking up, that's right. Do we seek this world's solutions first? Or do we trust in God? See, for a lot of us, God's not tangible. He's not a, a real help in time of need. 
So we scurry around everywhere to find some other help, and we just have to rely on God after we die to get into heaven. Does that make sense? Instead of seeing God is our helper in time of need, he might use a doctor. He may use a friend. God's the helper. God's the healer. God's the provider. God's the protector. Following this world means, you see, first rejecting God. Verse 6. Samuel was displeased with their request. Literally, the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew says here, the thing was evil in Samuel's eyes. It's pretty good, isn't it? And he went to the Lord for guidance. Now, Samuel's re- reaction here wasn't just he felt rejected. It wasn't even parental defensiveness of his sons. But instead of responding, and he had an opinion, first he sought God's answer. And God's answer may have surprised him. How quickly do we offer our own opinions? Or do we say, I'll get back to you because I've got to go talk to God about this first. How about it? Which one, Randy? I'm looking right at you. Yes, I am. You can look down, but no. (laughs) You see the difference? Boy, we're awful quick to throw out our opinions, aren't we? Give our responses. Samuel had an opinion, didn't he? He had a strong reaction, even some resentment, perhaps. He said nothing. He went to God. Verse 7. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied. Surprising. For it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Was God confused about their motivations? Do you think God's ever confused about your motivations? Do you think he might see them more plainly than you do? Bruce, you think he sees your motivations more than you do? Leaves you a little exposed though, doesn't it? God clearly saw these people were rejecting him as ruler, replacing him with king. Because here's what would happen. That would then release them from the need of exercising faith in the Lord whenever crises arose. This was another example of Israel forgetting God as their deliverer and turning instead to a substitute to meet their needs. Now, I want you to listen closely to this. Relying on a king instead of God was another form of idolatry. 
That's subtle. Just as they had relied on the ark of God to help them in battle, instead of relying on the God of the ark, the God the ark represented, they thought the box was powerful. Where have you seen that before? Indiana Jones. But the ark, when they carried the ark, what happened? 30,000 soldiers were slaughtered and they lost the battle and the ark in chapter 4. A little bit subtle there, isn't it? Yeah, but this is the ark of God. But don't you know this, that when Moses went up on the mount and they created those idols, remember that? And Moses ground them up and made them drink it and all that. Y'all forgot that part. They thought they were representing God with these bulls. They didn't think they were creating new gods. It's very close. You can depend on a cross or, a, or, a, or Jesus on a cross around your neck as the power and miss God completely. I want y'all to hear me on this. Some sign, some symbol, the church building Mm-mm. God of the church building. These leaders thought their problems were caused by governmental structure. Sound familiar, doesn't it? They never considered, or at least they dismissed, that their real problems were spiritual and required repentance and returning to God. Here comes my political statement. Our national problems are not political. They are spiritual. Now, now hold on to your chairs on this one. God's not a Republican. And all of you acting all self-righteous out there, neither is he a Democrat. Now, one, of the, one or both of those parties might reflect God's word, but that's, they're called to lead us in righteousness as well as justice. You understand? So I want to hear more about God, and I want to hear less about political parties around here, okay? Are we looking for a new approach to our problems instead of crying out for a new heart? In an instant, I just need a better doctor. I might need a different husband. I could need a different job. All this complaining, have you been to God? Does that make sense to you? We're doing a lot of complaining and we've never talked to God about it, have we? Well, God knows my boss. Well, he knows you better. Even when we ask God for assistance, we've usually already decided what we want God to do. So we're trusting in the method instead of the master. That makes sense? Verse 9. 
Do as they ask. But solemnly warn them. That's a legal expression that means give them full knowledge about the way a king will reign over them. So God agreed. Probably a better word is he acquiesced to the elders' demand. But he wanted them to understand, to comprehend, to grasp the consequences of rejecting him and relying instead on a human king. Do we recognize when we're rejecting God? And when we're replacing him with someone or something else to give us aid, support, or comfort. Do we? Let's be honest. Some of us have elevated doctors to a place of idolatry. Doctors can help. But you know what? The only reason your body heals or can be healed is the power that God built in it. Doctors assist in the healing of a body's, of a body. That's all. Do you understand that? Have we recognized and reckoned, which means counted, the cost of our modern day idolatries? Following the world means refusing God's warnings. Verse 10. This is a long passage. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking for a king. This is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Now, that's just a status symbol, the running. Those aren't soldiers. They're just running for pageantry. Some will be generals and captains in, the, in his army, literally commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment to support the army. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes. Again, that's a, that's a leisure item, an item of comfort, not a necessity for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. See, beyond what is necessary, which shows you the corrupting influence of power. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. The most stern part of Samuel's warning to people who have been enslaved in Egypt. See, rather than serving people without seeking self-enrichment as Samuel did, A king would use his power to take. Did you hear the mention of the word take several times? The best for himself, verses 11 through 13, and his officials, verses 14 and 15. The word take 
or draft, some version of the Hebrew word that's translated take or draft, is used six times in this passage. The Israelites would be forced to serve the king and his lifestyle and to give him whatever he wanted for their, from their possessions. Later in Solomon's story, Solomon built the temple. David wasn't allowed to build a temple. So Solomon built a very large temple, and then he built a house for himself that was twice as large. Sound familiar? And they would have to give the king whatever he wanted from their possessions, not only their own crops and their livestock. See, wouldn't, they couldn't say, here, take that cow. No, no, I want this cow. I want the best you have. I want the first tenth. The first tenth goes to God. Not with the king. He wants the first. Their crops, their livestock, their labor, even their children's labor for his use. And these aren't even... Immoral examples are the worst kinds of examples, are they? These are sort of the minimal ways a king will function, even a, a, a pretty good king. And at verse 18, when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. What a frightening warning. But look at their reaction. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. We want to be like all the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. You think they've made up their minds? We see it, don't we? Sometimes somebody wants something not good for them but they have made up their minds and they always describe it in the best possible way don't they Samuel gave a clear honest warning of what was sure to happen if they received a king but these elders had already they already knew didn't they do you think these elders didn't know how these kings exploited their own people in these other nations? What do you think? They knew. And yet, it won't happen to me. You ever said that? You know anyone that's ever said that? That won't happen to me. In addition, the scripture was very clear about selecting the man the Lord your God chooses. I read that to you, Deuteronomy 17, 15. But this passage in Deuteronomy 17 describes how a king should operate, verses 14 through 20. And it included that the king was required to hand copy the scripture. And then it would be proofed by the priest so that it was sure to be correct. And then he was called to keep it with him always, and to read it daily so that he would always fear the Lord, respect the Lord, and obey the Lord, verses 18 and 19 of Deuteronomy 17. And the reason was so that he would not become proud and begin to act as if he was above his fellow citizens. 
See, here's the thing. And y'all hear me sometimes kind of poke you in the ribs about celebrities. There's no celebrity but Christ. The rest of us are all equal. And if, if we're all intimidated and this person, this celebrity, this politician, oh, they're above me, oh, this beauty, oh, look at those looks. We don't, we don't understand God or our own identities. Be intimidated of no one but God. Doesn't mean be disrespectful of other people. Dignify other people. But be respectful most of God. Do you wonder why these Israelites would ignore this man who had spoken for God so faithfully? Do you wonder that? Do you wonder why they would defy the scripture? Anybody wonder that? Let me see some hands. Do you wonder that? I mean, just, now I can see y'all in cheap seats. I can see all the way to the back wall. Do you wonder that? Then why do we refuse and ignore warnings from God's word? Do you think maybe stubborn pride causes us to think, I know what's best for me? You ever thought that? Anybody ever said that? I know what's best for me. Let me see some hands. I want some confession up in here. Oh, my soul. We need a lot of, we, David, open the altar. We need some repentance down here. You're the first one. Well, come on down here. I'm going to pour a bucket of oil on you. But I know what's best for me. I know how to do business. I know who to date. I know how to function in my marriage. I know how to speak to you. I know how to act. Which amounts to rejecting the word of God and God himself. And substituting guess who. Every time you say, I know what's best, you just made an idol of yourself. And your own opinion. Samuel, perhaps the godliest man in the nation, before he opened his mouth, what did he do? He sought God. Before he even spoke, and God probably told him something he didn't expect God to say. You ever had that happen? You're going in, man, you are full of spit and vinegar, brother, and you are going in and you're getting it. Okay, I'm going to pray about this. And God silences you and says, you don't have a heart like mine. You're not justified in this. Your attitude's wrong. Your motive's wrong. This is sin. You need to repent. You ever gone in to hear God, see God and you were mad? You wanted him to affirm something? And he said, you're in rebellion. But following the world also means receiving God's release at times. Verse 21. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. That they still wanted a king. And the Lord replied, do what they say. Give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. 
Have you noticed God will sometimes give you what you want? Even if that request is damaging to your faith. See, granting what we ask for may not be a sign of support from God. Rather, it might be an expression of punishment. This seems funny, doesn't it? Because when we get what we want, we're really gratified in that, aren't we? And we love to say, God has endorsed this. Well, this, the way I'm living, this is love. Well, it's not love by any, def, any biblical definition. God sometimes responds to our rebellion when we demand a substitute for him by allowing us to experience what we desire along with its harmful consequences. See, here's, and I've, I've taught y'all this many times, but God's restraint is very often his grace at work. His release may be his judgment. Romans chapter 1, particularly 20 through 25. I mean, answer me this. I want to see some hands. How many times has God's refusal been your redemption? God's refusal. How many times has God not given you what you want and it saved you? It was your rescue. Some of y'all still know that woman you wanted to marry so desperately. She's crazy. That man, you thought, oh, he's just, oh. oh, oh." Yeah, you'd be like that all the time if you had gotten him. That business, oh, you're going to make a fortune. If we trust God, we must always begin by asking what he wants for us. Don't assume you know. Unless you have totally the mind of God. We should ask, what is your spirit praying for me? Isn't that what the scripture says? Romans 8, 26 and 27. The spirit of God is interceding for us in keeping with the will and the mind of God. See, Sometimes, you know what's happening? Sometimes you and the Spirit are struggling because you're praying for this and the Spirit's saying, no, God, don't give him that. Is that right? But we have to be sure that the desires we're following are from God. Doesn't matter if they feel good. They still might be from this world. Look at the state of our world. You want anything it has to offer? God sometimes allows our freedom to satisfy our sinful nature in defiance of his revealed will, which is in Scripture. Galatians 5.13. But I'm not saying God abandons his children He still has a plan that he is working out for our best. Romans 8, 28. 
And though Israel would have many kings that misled them and exploited them, they would have one king. They had a couple of good kings, but they would have one who was called a man after God's own heart in Acts 13. Who was that? David. And David would be the ancestor of God's true and great king who would fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament that, prof- that promised a shepherd king who would serve and protect the people, who would be both a son of David and the son of God, Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 16. Jesus is our king today. And he's not a king who takes. He's a king who gives. Matthew 20, 28 says this. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is Jesus your king? Does he rule your lives? Does he control your decision making? He can be, but it requires coming to him with repentance and calling on him as Lord as master. Our counselors will be here at the front. Counselors, you come on up. Let me remind you too, next Sunday is the first Sunday for prayer. But I just would plead with many of you to come at 8.15. Just, I'm saying, come once a month. Our nation is in need. Our, Our state, our community is in need. Our political system is in need. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land and restore them. You say, well, can't I pray at home? Yes, you can pray at home in your pajamas. But I'm asking you to come as God's collected people and let's join our voices and cry out to him together. Father, I pray today that your spirit would speak to many right now. That you would call them to faith. That you would call us to repentance. That you would call us to obedience. Lord, help us to know you that we might walk in your spirit. Help us, Lord, to quit relying on so many things this world offers. And help us to seek you first, foremost, and finally. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Counselors will be here. Please feel free to come and speak. And they'll pray with you and talk with you. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.